better at that. It's the Birdcast. I think this is episode five. I'm going to talk about the thing I know the most about, which is me. But first... True story, I wrote that melody as well, with the farts. I didn't write it with farts, though, but I did write the melody. So I'm talking about my music. It's my album I put out under my name, The Meh. I figure there's got to be someone out there who's at least remotely interested in the kind of thinking that could go through and putting out an album. I don't even know if albums are alive anymore. There might be out there. But I'm going to talk about the long journey to making my album. The Meh, which is the name of my band of me, was a lot of fun to come up with. And once, once I had it, I knew it was right. Because nobody hears that name and goes, eh, whatever. Uh, it's uh, you love it or hate it, and most people love it. At least that's what I tell myself. So that's where I'm at. I'm the meh. I played at least five shows. And then I can, I can blame COVID. Maybe I'll do that. I'll say that I was playing up until COVID, cut my tour short, I had to fly back home. Let's go with that. Yeah, I was, I was on tour with the meh, and uh, I was somewhere, somewhere in uh, Boise area when COVID hit, and we all went home for two weeks to flatten the curve. And as you know, bands aren't allowed to be out there yet, which is why I'm not back out playing shows yet, because we're just not allowed to. Perfect. That's good. So let's see. In 2013, I wanted a Les Paul. Well, I've always wanted a Les Paul, but I told myself if I get myself a Les Paul for Christmas, I will record an album. Which I guess is kind of ballsy for a drummer who is already in a band and doing drummer shit. So, uh, I don't know. I got myself my Les Paul. It, uh, I, I bought it used on eBay. It showed up a couple of days before Christmas. It was a, a great Christmas present for myself. And I set about writing my album. I had some songs I had written. I've had acoustic guitars most of my life, from the age of like 14 on. So I had some songs that I had written before, but I set about writing uh, an album of rock songs. Included some of my old riffs. I'd been in bands and had tried to write songs with the bands uh, to varying degrees of success, but I did have a collection of riffs from, I guess, the decade and a half leading up to 2013, 2014, when I was really writing this thing. So I wasn't starting completely from scratch, and I guess most people who record an album are actually in a band and playing in a room with people, so... My experience was different in that I was hanging out in the bedroom or the uh, the dining room with the guitar, writing writing all the stuff. Uh, none of the songs on this album have actually been played with more than one musician doing something at a time, so they're all strung together. Uh, they were all created separately and pieced together, and I'm I'm you know I'm I'm happy with the results, but. I don't know, it'd be fun to do a show someday with actual musicians joining me. Uh, that's kind of how I got there. I, I wrote the 
the music for everything first. Uh, I'll explain, you know, kind of as, as we... Well, I'm going to play the album and talk through it. And I'll explain what order I wrote the song in, where, where I was at. So I'll go song by song with some details on that. But uh, generally speaking, most of the album was created from 2014 on. Uh, Life Goes On was the last song I wrote musically. Uh, all I need to know was the first song. Well, I guess technically, uh, Someday was the first song I wrote musically. I was 16 or so when I wrote that one. So I'll go through, I'll go through all of these. The, the, um, I guess the idea is that, well, I'd write the music, I'd hum melodies. I was, I was driving. I'd had, uh, at least one hour commute into work and one hour back and so I'd record a rough idea of what the song was just with the guitar and I'd have one to two hours a day in the car where I could work on melodies and my my basic approach was if I could remember it when I got home then it was a good enough melody so I there's a lot of mediocre boring ass shit that I created in the car that I forgot and if it was good I remembered it and well, that's a long long way to to write an album but I, I'm happy with it if I could go back and uh, there's maybe a couple choices I'd do differently I think I was a little too on the nose with someday I'll get there when I get there um but yeah, I'm, you know, started journaling, had an idea. Sometimes the idea I first thought of ended up coming out in the lyrics, and sometimes it was very artificial, and sometimes it was from the heart, and sometimes it was from the mind. And like I said, we'll, we'll go through these songs, and I will share some shit. So the first song's called New Direction. The name of it's based on the the opening track in Van Halen 3 album. They called that one New World, and it was a piano intro. And I thought it'd be hilarious to have a song called New Direction, uh, because you can just change the inflection ever so slightly and end up with something uh, hilarious. So this is the only sound on this album that was not played by me, Liam, uh, my brother from another mother, uh, helped me record this on all his gear. He helped engineer all of this with his equipment, and he's a better piano player than me by far. So I wrote this, uh, wrote it out for him, but he embellished it all. I was very mathematical on the chord progression I wanted it to be very out there and the way he played it was great I added all the uh, underlying organs and Chinese drums and things and I fiddled with this one a lot in Pro Tools and I'm pretty happy and then we mixed it to go right into this is the song today a little organ coming in here 
that you can't hear in this mix. Kooky. This is the first song we recorded. We actually recorded this album three times, uh, learning as we went, learning how to get different sounds. I was trying to be a perfectionist on the tones. Uh, as a drummer, primarily, I was trying to be precise rhythmically. Oh, it's an interesting fact about these vocals. The chorus here that I'm singing was the last vocals I recorded on the album. Uh, meaning I, I went through and re-recorded the vocals uh, at the end, and that was the last thing I did vocally. But the verse that's coming up was the first, vo the oldest vo vocals that are on this album. Uh, we kept kind of the structure of this song. I said we recorded it three times, but this one we kept some of it, including this verse right here. So this is the, the oldest vocal on the album. This song today, this song uh, was inspired by me moving to San Diego to become a rock star, breaking my, my parents' heart, my friends' collective heart, they were, they were not impressed that I moved out of Modesto down to San Diego to become a rock star. But we were in a band up there called Severely Misunderstood. We did a bunch of shows. We did had a bunch of fun. And then the singer and uh, guitarist uh, got married to the other singer and moved to San Diego. And the band broke up and uh, about a year and a half later, we got together, he came back into town, and we sat around moping, realizing how much we missed the band. We just watched That Thing You Do, and it made me feel like I needed to be in a band again. So we figured out whatever shit we were going to do. This was uh, around Christmas time, 1996. And by May of 1997, the remaining members of the band who stayed in Modesto figured out what we needed to do, packed our shit in our vehicles, and moved to San Diego. And the rest of that is history, and this song is basically me uh, having an imaginary conversation with my mom about how I would have thought that she would want me to go out and chase my dreams, even if it meant losing me in her life as a daily or weekly part of her life, that to go out and fulfill myself would be more important to her. So that's, that's what this song's about. And then I, I did a guitar riff. My, my second favorite creative guitar solo-ish thing. I'm not a guitar soloist at all, so... Someone who could make up a million of these things a minute was a lot of work for me. But I'm happy with this. I had to do like 10 takes for it to end right, but here we go. Here we go. And then you can't even hear it. And I'm talking over it. 
This is a pretty weird mix down of this song. Doesn't sound great. You should get it. Pick it up wherever fine music is sold. This song, like the last song, bleeds into Life Goes On. This is the song I'm most proud of. This is the last song I wrote musically. I got a, a tube amp, a guitar amp, and I was amazed with the sounds I can get out of it because everything I had before that was solid state, and I just sat out in the garage for three hours and wrote this one. Because it was the last song, I came at it fresh from a how should we record it. So vocally, there's, I'm pretty much singing at least two vocals. I'm harmonizing at any given point. There's two of me singing and not just doubling my voice, but harmonizing with myself. So I think that's part of why I'm so happy with it. I thank Tyler Kelly for subconsciously, or not subconsciously, but teaching me how to harmonize just by watching what he does. This song, and mind you, this, you know, there's never been a time where a guitarist and a drummer and a bass player have played this song together. So I'm, I'm quite proud of, of coming up with what makes this song sound like a song that was actually played before by people. The theme of the song, I'll get into, into my love songs, my, my ideas of writing love songs. I don't write traditional love songs anymore. The idea of saying, oh, I like the, I, I like the things about you, I can't feel my face when I'm with you, you know, anything like that. It's, I, over, I overthink songs and I don't just want to say, things that have been said a billion times before I want to put my own spin on it and so this song was a song about I'd see there's a moment I was on tour with my band and we were driving down the hill into Seattle and uh, I was talking with my uh, my fiance at the time who was who was uh, not who's missing me and missing my help uh, my my oldest was uh, almost one and uh, just talking about the, the strains of me being gone and uh, yeah this is me revisiting uh, the melancholy strains of uh, should I have done that when, at what point do I do I grow up uh, at what point do I stop hitting the road, chasing my own dreams, and when do my dreams change into family stability? So that's what the song's about. There's four-part harmony, eight vocal lines on this. This is a like eight hours of mixing and recording and experimenting. I got somewhere out there recording, we just had the vocals and you can hear all the different layers going on. 
so much of good songwriting is just an accumulation of experiments and you keep you keep what moves you and it may sound like genius when you're done but it's just making up stuff and throwing 95% of it away and keeping the the 5% and so much of I'm guessing what Nirvana is or, or some some man like that that's seen as hugely creative it's like well you just try different things and you keep what sticks and so yes I did to totally just con compare myself to Nirvana and the guitar riff that not at all a ripoff of Pearl Jam's Yellow Lead Better but I did construct this song around that and the first moment of silence on the album I did I did keep that part in I, I was a uh, I put it in the beginning of the song because it was technically at the end of another song but it was a, a reference to uh, Tenacious D who made the same joke I wrote the the riff to this song that the intro riff I wrote long ago I never did anything musically with because it was just so weird I'll, I'll uh, let's cue this up at the top again so yeah wrote that long ago not a not a major chord minor chord anything it's its own thing and uh, didn't do anything with it and then at, by this point this was one of the later songs I wrote on the album and I was in a, a band and that band had broken up we had recorded half an album but didn't finish it and then the band was broken up and so I took the drum tracks that I did and re-edited them together around this riff and so I took the drums I'd already recorded for something else and basically structured a song around it so I got I got the drums for free but and I guess that well it's a creative exercise because at one point you're constrained when you start to write you're already constrained because the the foundations there but sometimes that that uh that's freeing having the foundation there so including this part going down to a quiet breakdown very blink 182-esque where that's how they do like every guitar solo as they go down quiet oh yeah i got the whammy bar dive uh, let's see you're not going to be able to hear are you here we go Yeah, so it goes, and it comes back hard. Dimebag Daryl taught me how to do that in the song, uh, Use Your Third Arm. Uh, he was better at me, or better than me. And then I just got this little, what's happening, notes and thing, but I basically keep this melody going on the vocals while I change keys twice. Walking around up different keys as a new key 
third key. But just using a simple melody engine, changing the music underneath it. So that was fun. And then back into the key that the opening riff was in. So this was fun. It was uh, not a standard three chord song. I guess I should hit pause and say what it was about. Let's see, that song's called Revolution. It's about the different small towns I visited on tour. And, you know, I, I came from Modesto area, a real, real small, uh, shitty town. If you're, if you're dying for adventure, it's not the town for you. And, it, I, you know, I moved out of there in 97, so... I'm sure people who live there now will say that I don't have the right impression of it anymore. I'm sure there's a microbrewery on every corner and there's something fun to do for everyone. But when I when I lived there, uh like the chief of police was this um Mormon dude, I think. Like like he didn't he didn't care how uh you know about gang violence. Modesto became the car robbery capital of the world but what the chief of police really cared about was like skateboarders and live music and if there was a, a a live band that went through modesto and they had an electric guitar holy fuck that was not not on his watch no none of that sh satanic shit was going to happen in his town and uh boy it felt that way and so, if you wanted to do anything after 9 p.m. that didn't involve uh, Taco Bell, uh, boy, you were in the wrong town. So, moving moving out of that, moving to San Diego and going, oh shit, I'm here, here I am in, in a metropolis living the rich life and uh, getting used to that. And then 15 years later, I'm on tour and I'm going back through little towns like Fallon, Nevada, uh, boy, I don't even name of the remember the name of the the city in Wisconsin. Oh, there's a Taco John's. We stopped at Taco John's in uh, not Wisconsin. There's that what that what's that 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 state above Utah. We we just we just glanced through it because we went north from Utah, hit the next state, and then headed west back towards Reno. And we saw the Taco John's, which was like Taco Bell, except w more American than Taco Bell. I, I believe their, their logo was a little monkey with a sombrero. And uh, the slogan was Taco John's, a whole lot of Mexican was the slogan. But other than that, it was kind of like Taco Bell, but imagine tater tots on everything like literally they had burgers there with the layer of tater tots they had burritos with the later tater tots and they oh oh that's right ketchupotle the 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 mexican <laughs> ketchup <laughs> taco johns ah uh, but yeah getting good <laughs> getting out of Getting out of big town San Diego and seeing, seeing the rest of the country and realizing how awesome it was to be around different people, um, small town people back to, 
you know, people who are like, you know, when I grow up, you know, my sheep won first place at the fair. You know, I'm, I, I grew up on the farm. I, I grew up in between the almond orchard and the peach orchard. I, that's, that's the life I grew up and to get back out and really appreciate how much fun it could be around people it's 11 o'clock at night because you know even here in san diego you know everything's going on but still the only thing to do at night is go to a bar and it's like well we had that back in modesto too but to be back around people who appreciated how to have a good time um while off on tour uh that's what uh what revolution was about was kind of the idea that uh most of the country is uh, certainly in cities smaller than San Diego, and they knew they they had their own way of partying, and that smug people who think that living in big cities like we we're more refined, better, classier, whatever whatever shitty thing you want to put in there, you know, get get around some people from different places and see how what how different fun can look like so that's what revolution's about the next song someday i stole the name i stole the name from uh from a song tyler wrote and severely misunderstood oh boy there's a story on this one let's see there was A very different life that most of uh, people my age and older lived when you were elementary school you know ask ask anyone who was born before 1980 what life was like and it was like try to come home before the street lights come on or come home whenever like go off you're you're nine years old go off in the neighborhood, if you got soccer practice, it's just a two-mile walk. You know how to get there. It was a go live your life and come home when you want to. You know, cell phones were... No one was dreaming of cell phones someday. So if you weren't at home and you didn't tell your mom where you were going and the phone number of the house you were going, you know, you were gone. And everyone was fine with that. That was like, you know, you're, you're a little human being. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Try not to get hit by a car. Uh, don't fuck around in the, in the street. Don't eat the yellow snow, whatever. Don't stick your head in the, in the sewer and fall in. You know, kind of, don't do stupid shit. And then there was, uh, in the Bay Area, there was a, a series of, uh, of kidnappings that got uh, high profile. Um, young girls walking home from school or waiting at the bus stop or, you know, whatever it is. There was there were three girls who, uh, in the, the late 80s, were, were kidnapped. And that changed all, you know, th that changed everything because the idea of just having your kids walk home for the for the first time at least in America that I mean that's gone now you know if you're if you're under the age of 20 now you know what it's like to have your parents not know where you're at and to have that be like an unacceptably 
bad thing, like as if you were juggling plutonium or something like the the you can't you can't be somewhere and i don't know where you're at fuck that that's that's how that's how kids get kidnapped uh that that all changed one summer which it's interesting because all the parents who do that who live that way now i think that sometimes i call it helicopter parenting or maybe i'm conflating ideas but the idea that i'm going to let me make sure I'm recording. Good, I'm recording. Didn't want to have to do this over again. But the, the idea that we need to know, we as parents need to know where the kids are constantly because safety comes from us knowing where the kids are. All of that attitude comes from people who were not raised that way. The, the last touch of we we were free and it'll be interesting to see like in 10 years 20 years what it's like because kids who are raised without that sense of freedom without here's a bus pass you want to go downtown it's seven miles that way uh here's a map here's everything you need to know to do it it's something a five-year-old can do but i don't trust you to do it because it's dangerous out there i wonder kids who grew up that way what kind of parenting they're going to do uh that's a huge tangent because someday is not about that part but um one of the one of the girls who was kidnapped was a was a classmate of mine so uh for three years in elementary school i was in the same grade and we all moved up together and uh so i i knew her um, her name's Eileen Mischeloff, and she was just walking home from school one day, uh, took a shortcut through an alley, and was never seen again. And a lot of, a lot of drama, ab obviously, about that. Uh, I could, I could talk for hours. I know I saw, I, I followed it, and really paid attention to the parents, and she had a twin brother. I was... I knew the brother better because when you're 11, you know the guys better than the than the girls. But that's, yeah, just wondering what it's like for them because they still live in the same house. Like I, I read an article about them and it's like, oh, we live in the same house because what if she comes back and we're not in the same house? And it's like, it's been 25 years. That's fuck so I took a I took a, an old melody I wrote uh, at the time I was uh, I was dealing with this but I didn't think I wasn't thinking about her when I wrote this music but I wrote this music when I was uh, I want to say 16 so I'll say uh, 2000 sorry 2000 my ass uh, 1991, 1992, somewhere in there, I wrote the music for this, and then as I'm putting this album together, I put the songs, um, I'll go ahead and start it, uh, got some computer wind sound, I was, I was dealing with a lot of visuals on top of the song, 
And I feel like, again, like I was too, too on the nose with this. The, uh, some of the themes. There, what, the, the third girl who went missing wrote a poem after the second girl went missing. And uh, basically, she imagined the, the second girl being locked behind a door of steel, unable to get out. And that really fucked with me, too. Because, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, this is the, the emo as mo emotional as I get on the album. I'm mumbling here. I know what I say, but I'm not going to share what I say. That's my... My letter to Eileen. And then, then I sang from what the parents are probably thinking as people are telling them, it's time to move on. They're obviously... She's obviously not coming back. And at what point do you... Do you come to peace with that and say, you're right? And like, how can you, how can you as a parent get there? So, I wish, I wish I had been a little less on the nose with this. But this is, this is my song to, basically my, my promise that I, for, for Eileen, I, I got the rest of my life and she didn't. And so I'm going to do what I can to not fucking waste what I have. So if there's any any good that can come from this, it's that constant reminder that every day is a gift. And if you're sitting around bitching about and there's nothing to do, uh, there's people who didn't get this chance and would trade anything for the chance to sit around and not do anything. So... Don't be a cunt. And so that's it. That's the deepest track on the album. It's called Someday. Stole the name from Tyler. This is... This is the love song I wrote. I was 19. Quite proud of uh, this one musically. I... Uh, I listened to the song The World I Know by Collective Soul on, on the music television and I thought, God damn it, that's a good song. I want to write a good song. So I went back in the, in the bedroom, pulled out the little acoustic guitar and, and over like six hours wrote this song. Uh, all the music, the melody, uh, almost all of the words. This, this song came quick. And then, uh, then my friends called me up and they're like, Hey, you wanna, wanna go out? We're going up to Manteca to go spend the night. And so I spent the night up, up with my, my buddies in Manteca. And then, uh, I came back into town. Um, and the girl I wrote this song, this is a love song, as I said, uh, about realizing that love is not just uh, an emotion it's uh, a commitment I'll say you know this is the time when you realize there's more to love than just how it makes you feel 
And uh, the day after I wrote this one, uh, she broke up with me. Because well, it doesn't really matter why. She was going off to school. And it was time. As so many young love stories end. I know that she didn't break up with me because I wrote a love song about her. Because she had no clue that I had written the song about her. So, but... For whatever reason, I, I thought of it as a, as a jinx. There's another girl I dated after this. I wrote a love song for her. We broke up. And it's, you know, it's completely unfair for me to say, oh, well, every time I wrote a love song for someone, we broke up. Because when you're a teenager and in your really early 20s, you're probably going to break up with everyone. <laughs> Almost everyone. Eventually, you're going to find the person that you marry but for whatever reason it was a joke that maybe was a little more of a joke of well I better not write a love song for this one because then we're going to break up which is you might as well say well I, I shouldn't shouldn't go to Taco Bell with this one because I went to Taco Bell with the girl I dated when I was 17 and now we broke up so I think this is the only song I wrote that a band I was in performed uh, severely misunderstood played this one. I I I came out from behind the drum set and I played guitar. The bass player would play bass. Uh, my friend Andy would sing lead vocals and then Tyler and Julie would harmonize. So there were three part harmonies, none of which I contributed. I just wrote the the main melody. And then Tyler had a bitch and harmonica solo. And then when I talked with Liam about whether or not I should include it on the album, I played it for him. And he's like, oh, fuck yeah, that's got to go on the album. So I stole Tyler's harmonies. And there it is. That's my teenage love song. This is 23. This is coming out of love song. Somewhat inspired by the, the the next girlfriend I was talking about uh, breaking up with her, uh, but the timing of this was inspired by my nephew who had been dating someone for a couple years, and they were sure they were going to get married, but then it it blew up uh, quite dramatically. Well, I don't know dramatically. Uh, super intense emotions. No no drama worth sharing. Just a a, a painful I should, I should, that's the way to say it it was painful for him because he was sure that they were going to end up together for forever and going through that with him reminded me of uh, I don't know just, d just the experience so this is about living a relationship in your head if you close your eyes and the the that's where your most of your relationship is is in your head uh, that's not really a relationship at all and I think that's at least for, you know what what my nephew went through and then seeing that you know that I went through is that 
there was an imaginary relationship. The highs were so high because they weren't real. So this is a, an exploration in uh, if you're more attentive and more real, more grounded in reality and the experience of you and the other person together that the highs the highs, you know, maybe won't be as high, the lows won't be as low. It'll be it'll be real. And that's way better than a fake high. Uh, a poet poetic Cinderella story that isn't real. Uh, so that's I rented a cello for a month. Learned how to play cello again. Wrote a melody under this. Ah, this sounds like ass as it mixed down. You should buy this album and hear it in stereo through good headphones. And don't trust what you're hearing now because the mix down is cock I named it 23 because whenever I put my phone into the car to listen to music the car looks at every song just by the song name and plays it alphabetically and so I've got a Van Halen song called uh, AFU that starts first and I thought well if I name my song 23 then everyone who's got it on their phone and plays it will hear my song first but apparently 2-3 does not come before A according to, to Honda cars so fuck you Honda fuck you a song track number 8 throwing shade I wrote the chord progression to this when I was in high school. Always wanted to do something with this. I had written a song about my uncle, who uh, I, he was—he was always around. He was always cool. I always, you know, thought of him as a as a a loser. Uh, and then you know thinking back on the people you know when you're when you're a cool 16 year old kid who's paying attention to you know all the cool bands and all the cool stuff out there and you just see your family members who are you know hitting the end of their life and they're certainly not cool oh you can really fucking simplify their life down to nothing that matters and not uh, appreciate who they really are and so this it started as as me thinking after my uncle passed that I didn't really know him didn't really try to know him uh, dismissed him and uh, had gotten half that song written and then it changed over time to uh, just generally uh, miss characterizing, intentionally misunderstanding people online. Uh, politically or not, for, for whatever reason, just intentionally not understanding people, making up who they are in your head, and then fighting with that character. 
so that's where this song came from. I think I, I, I kept this one short and raw. I didn't polish it up. I didn't do much. And I, I would probably go back and keep doing more things with this to make it snap, to make it pop. I want to say it's the low point of the album. It's the song I worked the least on. And I, I feel like it shows. I like that the, the line, few will remember me. The idea of coming up being okay with the idea that in the age of being a social media influencer understanding that no one's gonna know who I am and that's cool with me the the um, yeah the the idea that oh, that's that's the idea of like if, if I have to if I have to be a prick and attack people to be famous which clearly is a, an easy path to, to fame. Uh, I'd rather be an unknown than, than take that path. And then it goes into... Let me try to skip the music to the end. I merge it into my little instrumental called Pato y Tortuga. And then I talked over it. Here we go. I'm going to try and not talk over it this time. I guess I thought that one way to make it seem like I wasn't making up these songs as a one-man band was to have them flow from one into the other and really cement the idea that they weren't artificial constructs, that we, we, we were jamming them out and we just organically on with the show. I named this one Pato y Tortuga, which means duck and turtle. I don't know why, other than it makes me happy. And now this is the next song, Heroes and Apathy. The music for this song, I was at a party. Uh, let's see, it was my wife's friends. So lots of friends, lots of kids, lots of uh, alternative... Uh, child raising stuff which is a mixed bag um, there's a lot of people like uh, like don't don't go to don't go to McDonald's don't do this or that don't you know which is cool because I I definitely want to be aware of lazy trends that are bad um, but then some real weirdos get in there but but anyway none of this has anything to do with the song I was at a party uh, people were getting all hopped up on politics, whatever it was, and so I, I saw upstairs a guitar. I went upstairs and played the guitar and came up with the main riff for this song at an Easter party at a house for people I don't know on a guitar I didn't ask to play. And then I took a part of a different song and stuck them together, which is fun because part of the song's in three. This song's in three. 
One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four. And then the the chorus is in four. So going back and forth. Here we go, this is in six. And this is in four. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. So it was fun going back and forth, figuring that out. That transition back and forth with guitar and drums and uh, bass guitar was was one of the hardest ones. And that was the music. So the actual words are about my grandmother-in-law who was at the end of life, you know, in her 90s. And there were the family members who were around the whole time to help take care of her. And there were the family members who got out of there decades ago who were coming around at the end making sure everyone knew that the inheritance would be divvied up equally. And just thinking about the way people will go insane as the, the matriarch or the patriarch uh, passes uh, the chance to get your hand on a little bit of money uh, combined with decades of family shit that no one knows about um, all of that can how the, all of that can come together and make a very horrible time even more horrible so the heroes and the apathy that the hero is the was the um, my uh, I, aunt, aunt-in-law, <laughs> uh, who who stuck around the whole time, who sacrificed so much of decades of her life, uh, juxtaposed or compared to the the apathy of the people who got out of there. I had to give myself permission to go with na 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 na. I like the. Oh, I'm gonna hit pause. Uh, so much of what I'm doing, I'm, I'm overthinking things. I'm trying to be. You know, every word matters. Every word's impactful. And, which is funny, because when I wrote it, I just mumbled everything. But I knew I wasn't done until I was happy that the words were something I could be proud of. And I told myself, well, I could be, I could just say, na, 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 na. Because the, the last line was just, something's missing, and then not knowing what to say after that. So it's just like, I just love the idea of uh, something's missing, blah, 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 blah. I mean, blah, blah, blah would have been more on the nose, but that's basically, I'll play it again, but, uh, the song with the swells and the big loud and then the quiet and going and having it hit this wall uh, you know you're just speeding towards this wall and it dunk dunk and then it's back to quiet um i'll back up a little bit and not talk over this
And so sometimes, sometimes the best way to say something is just na 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 na. Oh yes, wasted dreams. There's a drum line in here. That one there. Uh, loosely lifted from a King's X song. I wrote, I wrote the guitar, the main guitar for this right out of high school and didn't do anything with it. I should say the guitar for the chorus. I wrote all of, all of this part, all of the verses in 2014. And this is a song about being a parent and realizing that it was going to be a long, confusing journey raising kids because there's like there's the lessons I want them to learn, but they're not ready for it. And there's the lessons I need to learn, and they can't teach me that. And so we just have... When you're a new parent, you're both teaching each other so much, and you gotta... You gotta give up on any plan you had on how you're gonna turn this little person into a strong 18 year old ready to take on the world because it's not going to go according to plan this little person's not going to be half you and half their mother this little person's going to be their own thing and if you have two of them they're both going to be their own thing and you're just going to have to make it up and all the things you think are most important in the world are going to be thrown on their head And so just coming up to the chorus is like, well, what do I believe is most important? Because we got to get there together. And, uh, yep, this is about realizing that the journey, how you do the journey, it doesn't matter. Like, I can't teach a lesson. I can only act a certain way through life and hope that people see how I acted along the way and take the positive things and learn from the negative things and uh, internalize the right messages and that's it because it's life's not the lessons you say life you know you learn by watching people react to things so that that's basically it was me realizing that i didn't have to i didn't have to say the right things all the time i just had to have the right approach you know, love, caring. I had to figure out what was important to me and live that. And that that was more than having the right fucking advice for everything. This is always fun to play live. Just me on guitar and singing this. I don't know, we'll see if, if enough people hear this podcast and there's demand for me to start playing shows again. Once COVID's over and I can leave my house, uh, maybe I'll do it. Let's see where we at on this album. We're on track number 11. There's 15. Oh, big drum thing. We're probably not going to hear. Oh, yeah, I played this song using little wooden rods. Little, little, like little stick of wooden dowels stuck together, so you get a little different sound on the drums. 
This song's in drop D. Come on over, I'll show you how to play it on guitar. The next song's my punk song. I think I did this to a click. Oh, I think I did most of these to a click. Because the only way to play all the instruments separately was to really lock it down. It's my song about looking back over my time at church. Uh, oh boy, I can do podcast after podcast about uh, my time at, at the non-denominational Baptist Church in Modesto. One of the three ones, three churches that ran the town. It was good. One of the bigger ones, so I felt like I was part of the power structure that mattered. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, but I, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I was safe walking down the street. Like It wasn't like the, the sharks and the jets, and I was uh, part of the, the weaker faction. I was going to be okay. And this is a song I wrote after I moved out of there. I'm just like, no, I'm just not going to do churchy stuff. And it was just so uneventful, my end of religion. But then the people who, who say, well, once you're a Catholic, you're always a Catholic, or the, you, you owe us something. That's basically this song. Like this line here, I turned it down. The idea that I... I mean, we, we all owe our past. Uh, who, who we are now is because of the people and the experiences we had. And any successes I had now, you know, what did I... I absolutely learned a lot of really important things at the church, but the idea that I owe them uh, something or that I can't ever really leave, that I'll be back someday, realizing that it was wrong for me to leave. Uh, that's, that's what this song's about, because I was getting that attitude from some people. And uh, I don't think that's particularly true for anything. And it's not just religion. I, I think religion's the same mentality as a lot of things, so you don't need God to be culty, assholeish. So I, I don't think that's a special thing, just for religion. But in my case, it was religion, and so was my punk song. <sighs> this is another song I wrote. This riff, long ago. Never did anything with it musically because most guitarists couldn't do it that I was in bands with. I'd show them and then they're like, no, never mind. There is a bridge that, or the, the chorus for the song, we actually did put in a, a severely misunderstood song. Uh, but since that band was broken up, I took the chord progression back. I did take the bass line that uh, Kevin Fuller, the bass player, wrote that was so tasty. That one. But the, the rest of the song is entirely my own. It's just the chord progression that 
I wrote years ago in another song that I turned back into this this song I wrote I can tell you exactly when I wrote it because it's about Breaking Bad so I watched Breaking Bad I binged it the two weeks leading up to the last episode and I was thinking about what life would be like for those who have seen it from the wife's point of view who all she knows is that she had a good enough relationship with a good enough guy but then he started acting squirrely started acting secretive started acting different and then things got really unhealthy and just wondering how long do you stay in an unhealthy situation so I was saying earlier that there were songs that were entirely contrived uh, this song for me was entirely contrived because I haven't lived through that but the experience of watching the TV show was so powerful that that I, I researched um, what it's like to be around a narcissist to end a relationship with a narcissist and put that into this song and I'd say this is a song I've gotten the most feedback from people who've read the words and uh, people want to know what this was from and they, they, all, they all assume that I lived it as I, I assume everyone would think someone who wrote a song about a shitty experience probably lived it so they people wanted people who've known me all my life wanted to know who it was <laughs> that did me so wrong um, That's a, this is another guitar part. This is, this is the the part I'm most proud of, guitar-wise, on the album. I'm gonna rewind it. The wah. So yeah, this this song, a lot of a lot of people. If if you've been through a shitty relationship, and had to figure out when to leave, when enough was enough, and how do you leave, uh, this song st stuck out to you or not? So, like I said, a lot of people they either don't ask what it's about, they know exactly. Well, no one knows, no one thinks it's about Breaking Bad, but everyone either wants to know what I went through, who was the bitch that fucked me up, or tells me that this really hit home and they don't want to go into it, but this was cathartic for them, so. I was quite proud of that line. The next song, Fake News. I brought my guitar into work because I was a manager. And I wrote the chord pattern to this in between meetings one day. There, let's see. The words are about a, a friend I have uh, named Alan who... I'm going to go ahead and hit pause and talk about Alan. Alan, 
Alan was a was a fun guy. I I he's one of the few people that really know me uh, more more than most on what I think about any given subject. He's in he's in the top five people who know what I really think about everything because. I don't know. We're all we're all different, and there's no need to be sharing shit that you think uh, is not popular uh, unless someone's earned their trust or whatever. And, and he got in there, and what I really appreciated from him, uh, and ev every everyone in their forties sees that that as um, as the political winds turn back and forth, you know, there'll be. Uh, Bush will be president for eight years, and then Obama will be president, and then Trump will be president. Before that, Bush was president, and Clinton, and you, after you've gone through enough cycles, back and forth, you see how dishonest people are, how someone will be completely outraged that a politician would do something. And if the guy from the other party is the president, then it's like, it's your job to nitpick and stay on top of every syllable that's uttered and condemn, condemn, uh, watch it and then say the shit that, that when, when, when you see the wrong thing, you speak the truth to power. And then when your party's in charge, it's like, whew. Thank God, I have eight years now of not having to pay the slightest bit of attention because I know nothing bad's going to happen because it's my team. And even though they act, both parties act like 90% the same and do the same things, the stuff that pissed you off just doesn't piss you off anymore. Because uh, why would it? Because, you know, you extend every courtesy. Um... And I really realized that by watching uh, Alan over the years, uh, we were we were family. We, we, our families met because our kids are the same age, and we we're, we were the weirdos who who got along for decades. And so watching him, he was the only person I really knew who didn't change who he was or the stuff that he was concerned about after. An election cycle changed who was in power if if he was mad at something when one side did it he was also mad when the other side did it and it was just so eye-opening um, watching him do this uh, wa watching him uh, be principled uh, which is not... I, I definitely didn't agree with him on, on everything. He's the, the one who taught me about chemtrails. Um, I haven't spoken with him about chemtrails in a while, so I don't, I don't know what he believes on that, but... Having, having a person who wasn't just about proving to themselves that they're right about party. Fucking changed me as a person and so I called this song lots of things at first uh, I called it um, uh, selling out there's a line about selling out 
uh, and I told him, hey, I wrote this song about you called Selling Out. And I'll always remember the, geez, thanks. And not realizing that he's the one person who isn't selling out. And so I just fucking <sighs> explained it to him the worst way possible. Um, then I called it Fighting Alone. Because that's another line from the song. Um, then I called it uh, Fake News. And uh, maybe should have changed it. This is, you know, I wrote this before uh, Trump was elected. And I know that uh, obviously Trump jumped onto it and uh, that, that slogan, Fake News. And that's not where this came from but the it, it came before that and you know i mean anyone who's complaining about fake news is onto what i was onto with this thing so this is not pro trump it's not any trump i'm just making sure you know that i didn't fucking hear anything trump said and named a song after it but uh yeah the the idea that uh we spin we spin stuff we you know we you you every, everyone who who's in their 40s will see it they'll been they'll go through enough cycles to see the things we care about change predictably change and watching it change back and forth a couple times where you really see it's you know it's like clockwork so i'll go ahead and, and hit play cuz i'm running out of stuff to say on this song and I've got another three minutes to play it. But yeah, this is about how it's hard for me to see him doing anything that would be uh, not with integrity. And again, I didn't agree with him on several things. Um, but... I knew he believed what he said. And so this song's the verses are about me being uh, partisan. I love that the, the line that the visual hold, hold on till it breaks the idea that I've got my my beliefs that I need to be true and I'm gonna hold on to them so tightly that as the real world changes around me, I'm just holding onto the fantasies that I have so hard that that I snap them off, that, that I break off my beliefs from reality. If I'm allowed to celebrate my own metaphors. But yeah, he he says what he says and lets it play out. And oh, a slide! I got a, a slide guitar for this one. And uh, my friend referred to this as the most angry whispering she'd ever heard on an album. I did, uh, I could probably go back and re-record vocals on this because now I've learned how to be gravelly. I tried to figure out how to get intensity and ultimately came up with what I love the idea of a megaphone. <laughs> 
a guy standing on a soapbox warning everyone and so I've got I've got it the vocals EQ'd as if someone was shouting in a megaphone which also solved the problem of my weak ass voice at the time not sounding as intense as it needed to be for the music of this song and the message And so, like me not writing the typical love songs, I'm not going to write the typical politics song. I'm not going to write a revolution song. I'm going to write a be consistent, own your, own your beliefs. Because that's what, one thing I learned from religion, is I'm not going to tell people widely believe what I want you to believe. That's not me anymore. This is the last song. I remember writing that riff. I don't remember where I was. Oh God, you know what? No, now I remember. This is the song I wrote at the Easter party. The last song I was talking about, uh, Heroes in Apathy, I remember that now. I wrote that on the tailgate of my truck at my parents' house when I visited them in 2014. That's right. I got it wrong. This is the, this is the Easter song. Musically. Sorry about lying to you. Sorry, I'm a cunt. So, this song is lyrically about uh, finding out that uh, my best friend, who I'd mentioned a few times already in this podcast, uh, had cancer. And wondering if he was going to recover, and how do you prepare for the worst, and how do you, how do you build a life with someone and then have them go away through through death or moving away or, or whatever it is but you know it's called unbound and the the idea is that you know we we we've we were bound together that our lives were so interconnected for so long how do i find who i am how do I go on without you being in the world anymore? And uh, he's fine. He kicked it. Uh, I haven't heard him talk about cancer, and I can't tell you how many years. It's been a long time, so it's not a factor anymore. But uh, I know I'm going to, in the next decade or or so I'm going to start dealing with the fact that some of my my friends uh, especially and, and and loved ones in the generation before me are just gonna start uh, uh, checking out of life it's funny I saw Bernadette Peters who's like 73 uh, she did a show and she was up there talking about 
all these experiences because she's you know she's been performing I don't know if you know who she is she's been performing since like the age of 10 on TV shows and Broadway and she's got so many stories from so many people and you know if you're talking about the movers and shakers you were with when you were 15 and now you're 73 it's like all of her stories involve dead people and she was just like so casual so like this uh, he's not with us anymore and like I don't know how I'm gonna be when I'm 73 and uh, I just hope it's as as comfortable with with people dying because that's what we're all looking for if we make it to our 50s then we're just spending the next two three four decades if you're lucky uh, of people you care about dying and how do you how do you deal with that so I, this is my song about that it's the last song here we go I'm gonna back it up a little bit one of the things I tried to do, I stole from uh, the band Extreme, is I wanted to have chorus lines from other songs overlapping as this one built. I'd go back and fix that harmony if I could. So I wanted to have, and I, I do a little of it. singing in the background choruses from other songs and so that's it that's that's the end of the album I'm sure I could uh-oh. I don't know what's happening. Oh, it went on to the next album. My live album with some of these songs, which sounds like it's all hiss. So I'm not going to subject you to that. So, that was years I spent overthinking, over, like I said, re-recording. Most of those songs were recorded at least three different times. Uh... I learned a lot. I know Liam learned a lot. It's not at all a viable way for music to be written. But then usually, you know, you get four people in a room and they write songs uh, together that way. And so with it being just me writing the songs, uh, it had to be what it had to be. But every now and then I think about writing another album. I've got ideas but then it keeps coming back to, well, what did I really accomplish with this? I mean, it's not financially uh, paying for itself. God, I mean, if I recorded it in a home studio for free, I mean, that's one thing. But, like, I rented a cello for $80, and there's no way I've made $80 <laughs> in profit off of this thing being for sale. So, um I just have to choose, okay, well, uh, what musical endeavors or creative endeavors uh, are rewarding to me? 
and at this point now, uh, writing songs to have an album uh, isn't there. Um, but maybe it would be, and I, I'm, I'm not against it, but uh, there's definitely the nature to this kind of art where you're not just doing it for yourself. You're, you're not just, like, like a painter doesn't just paint to hang it up in their basement or to throw it in the corner in a stack of, of paintings. If, if you paint, you know, you can, you can paint just to paint and then throw it away and it was the act of painting that was rewarding. And so I still, I still do that part. I still play guitar. I still sing. I still write riffs and stuff. But the act of finishing a releasable product, knowing that there's not really an audience out there waiting to consume it that's that's the last step that's kind of too far um i wonder what it'd take to get me to actually feel like taking on the challenge of finishing another 13 songs i've got like the ideas for five songs uh, I, I'm already at the point in my life where I just, if I want something, I'll just go get it. If I want a guitar or a keyboard or a bass, I'll just go do it. I don't have to tell myself I'm going to record an album if I do it. So we'll see. If, uh, if you hear this and you want to convince me to start playing coffee shops again, send an email to uh, I don't really care. Uh, but thanks for the thought at you're really cool, but so are we, and I cannot do this at all.com. And that's it. So this is my longest podcast ever. This is a melody I wrote in college. In music theory class, I had to write a round. This is my round, and I farted out in a round. <laughs>